everyone, and welcome to the next episode in the ADEA podcast series for 2018. My name's Jan Orford, and I'll once again be your host today. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Melanie Burkhardt. Melanie is a clinical psychologist who runs the Diabetes Clinical Psychology Service within the Department of Endocrinology and Diabetes at Fiona Stanley Hospital, a large tertiary hospital in Perth. Melanie has extensive experience in tertiary teaching and clinical supervision and acts as a senior clinical psychology resource to the multidisciplinary diabetes team at Fiona Stanley. Today, she's going to give us some tips about clinical supervision. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for your time today. Hi, Jan. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'd like to start the session by asking you some questions, if, if I may. Um, as experts in diabetes education and management, CDEs are often asked to provide clinical supervision to less experienced staff. I wonder if you could tell us a little about what the difference between mentoring somebody and providing clinical supervision? Well, you know, clinical supervision is certainly a, a big topic that we could discuss at length. You know, a quick Google search reveals that there's dedicated conferences and whole growing literature in the practice of clinical supervision. And uh, first off, I'd say encourage our members to seek out further information and training opportunities that are readily available online. And uh, I guess we'll provide a link to, use, uh, to a useful website as an initial resource but all I'm going to do is just cover some key points in this uh, podcast as a means of introduction. So I guess mentoring um, has broadly been defined as a mutually beneficial relationship um, which involves a more experienced person helping a less experienced person to achieve their goals uh, and um, members will be familiar with the ADEA's mentoring program uh, in which the role of the mentor I think is very well defined uh, but it's defined in terms of the focus on the mentee's professional career. So um, you know the partnership is a nurturing and a voluntary one uh, and it's largely determined by what the mentee's needs are so generally does not involve a clinical or managerial supervision and by definition, there's no evaluation of clinical skills or competence. Um, so that would be kind of uh, very different from clinical supervision, uh, where we're really talking about an exchange between two, and it can be more health professionals, so a group that formally meets at regular intervals to provide dedicated time to critically reflect and review clinical situations. Uh, and these can be for two purposes. One, for skill development of the practitioners and two with the overarching aim of monitoring and improving the quality and effectiveness of professional services that are offered to our patients and clients. So the relationship by definition is also an evaluative one, it extends over time and in some health professions is actually a mandatory process to facilitate credentialing uh, and in professions such as clinical psychology that is part of our, our yearly registration requirements as well. Um, and supervision, look, there's many different ways we can approach it. Uh, the format, whether it's group supervision, one-on-one, whether it's cross-discipline or peer group, and the model and process is used are quite different. Um, but with patient care, the main priority, I think a clinical supervisor should be someone 
who possesses more experience than the supervisee and or is skilled in an area in which the supervisee seeks supervision. So for example, an experienced CDE who has mainly provided diabetes education to people living with type 2 and suddenly was required to provide pump education for someone with type 1 diabetes, then they'd certainly need to develop skills and competence in this area, including through a formal supervision arrangement, perhaps with a pump competent and very experienced supervisor. Does that answer your question? I think it does, but I guess more importantly, I'd like to ask you, how effective is clinical supervision in the transfer of clinical skills and knowledge then? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, look, I think the aim and hope is certainly that clinical supervision facilitates this. Um, and I think we've got lots of anecdotal information, you know, from our own practice, suggesting benefit to supervisees and supervisors from having that exchange. Look, despite much being written about how to supervise, Empirical evidence is actually quite limited about what elements make it effective and findings can be quite mixed um, basically with regards to you know whether it enhances practice or clinical governance. But what I'll do is briefly summarise what the literature across disciplines tells us. So one, most health professionals and health administrators are going to agree with the fundamental assumptions of clinical supervision. Where there isn't much agreement is really about specific procedures and processes. So no one has yet done a convincing component, component analysis of methods uh, and also comparison of methods. So we don't really know which methods work. And we're also not clear what frequency and duration of supervision might be necessary or sufficient. Um, where they have done some comparison studies, they've often involved a no supervision or information education only group uh, and then an active clinical supervision group and the results you know do show that they're quite favorable for people receiving supervision uh, and the benefits tend to be on measures such as the supervisees reports of their confidence um, their knowledge and also the supervision experience um, and lastly studies looking at changes in actual clinical behaviour of supervisees I think is really limited. Um, if we think about evaluating the effectiveness of treatment or um, you know, comparing health interventions, we think of using methods like randomised controlled trials and looking at objective sort of primary outcome measures, um, which in this case would be measures of clinical behaviour or skill acquisition with a link to patient outcomes. And I think this remains a real gap in the clinical supervision practice research. Search. Thanks for that, Mel. I wonder if you could tell me what you think are the key elements to ensuring that clinical supervision is effective and enjoyable for both par parties. Well, I guess, I guess seeing we've just summarised some of the gaps in the literature, look, the current so-called best practice in clinical supervision uh, encompasses five variables. Um, one, having a choice in the allocation of supervisor is really important or supervision group. Um, two, receiving regular, so some form of regular supervision. Three, having attended supervision training. Uh, the completion of a supervision agreement. Um, this is a really important, um, I guess, guiding framework that sets out the roles and expectations uh, for the supervisor, supervisee, or the group, um, and this might also include a statement of, you know, how uh, what the format of, of supervision is going to look like, 
the specific models and processes used within that clinical supervision arrangement um, and ultimately should be developed collaboratively so people have shared ownership. Um, and lastly, having a very clear understanding regarding the limits of confidentiality within the supervisory relationship is important as well. Um, I guess I'd further like to add, you know, my own three elements that I think make supervision meaningful and potentially enjoyable. Uh, first and foremost, I think it needs to be a non-negotiable that exchanges in supervision, whether one on one or group, um, are safe and supportive for experiential learning. Uh, people need to, you know, convey warmth uh, and positive regard and really refrain from judgment or criticism. Uh, secondly, and importantly, I think the major focus of discussion in supervision needs to be about improving clinical care or optimising treatment provided to current patients, because this is the real world clinical context in which skills are developed. Um, and you know, lastly, I think you can utilise a range of different processes to try and tap uh, the resources and learning styles of the supervisee or health professionals in a supervision group, such as sharing, reflecting, exploring, reviewing, debating, discussing, um, analysing and providing feedback. Um, and, you know, some examples of presentation tools are using group supervision um, something like the good news analysis you know where you essentially present a piece of your practice that went really well and identify you know factors that contributed to that success with peers responding by giving positive feedback about what they think about uh, what contributed to success and what impressed them about your approach um, and that can be quite fun because uh, it's really focused on positives um, you could present a work in progress, which is about reviewing a current clinical case, um, what you'd like um, basically some help with, ideas about what to do next, or know whether what it is you're doing is okay. Um, and it's really important for peers to refrain from criticism and, and judgment here, but instead taking turns um, to use, by example, similar situations situations that they've been in, what worked, what didn't. Um, and finally, I think most fun of all of the three is the dress rehearsal. Essentially, it involves role-playing rehearsals of new responses for upcoming clinical situations with the aim of improving your effectiveness in those. So <clears throat> we get people to basically choose what they'd like to rehearse the situation, they talk about their feelings about it, their goals, uh, how you plan to, to go ahead in that, that practice situation. You can also coach peers for any roles they have to play. Uh, and then essentially you reflect on experiences together and action replay until satisfied. Um, and then, you know, we can make a commitment to act on that learning and report back to the group. So this immediate feedback from the dress rehearsal can make it a really effective tool. So now, what sort of strategies would you employ to assess the competency of a person's <coughs> clinical skills then in this process? There are a few strategies I use, Jan, but first and foremost, I want to say that um, the strategies for teaching skills, monitoring um, and competency assessment, they really go hand in hand and, uh, you know, shouldn't be viewed as just a pre and post measure of supervision uh, per se. So 
you know, any assessment strategies should be used in the context of an ongoing examination of the supervisee's behaviour and professional service that's provided to their current caseload of clients, um, which increases the probability of those clients having a successful outcome and, and the supervisee as well. I tend to draw on various forms of clinical data for review. Um, one is I'd, I'd look at the client's case history, so a full review of results, any current assessments, uh, structured interviews, questionnaire measures, including ones that were undertaken by the supervisee. Um, you know, a, a sample of actual clinical consultation sessions that the supervisee runs, that, that's really important as well. Uh, and whether, you know, um, we audio or videotaped sessions, we do uh, real-time observation. Um, at our hospital, we actually have one-way mirrors as well, so you can actually watch the session live, um, or even sitting within sessions. Um, uh, another thing I think is really crucial is looking at measures or indicators of the client or patient's engagement with the intervention, such as, you know, using their monitoring data, um, looking for some indication of how well the person is implementing any of the problem solution or strategies uh, that um, were part of the intervention. So these are treatment fidelity measures, if you wish. Um, and I guess finally, in terms of data, you know, looking at client health, uh, behavioural and psychological outcomes. And really, all this data together allows not only monitoring of the service provided by the supervisee, but we're also identifying opportunities to improve the supervisee's skills. So what I would do is, in supervision, really focus the discussion and observe how the supervisee make sense of all of this data, um, you know, how they go about developing a formulation, so a case formulation of what's going on, um, how they would describe the reasoning behind a treatment decision, uh, the goals that they would have for intervention, um, and also their analysis of, of patient outcomes. And through review of actual samples of their sessions, I have additional data to observe how they actually approach those consultations, how they, you know, all the non-verbal behaviour and how they engage the patient client and how they ultimately solve problems that arise in real-time clinical situations. I also really kind of, um, you know, pay attention to how the supervisor uses feedback from their learning experiences, including any correct feedback uh, on errors in assessment, diagnosis or treatment. Um, and in summary, I think using a combination of approaches increases my credibility as a supervisor in being able to report on a supervisor's competence. Thanks, Mel. I, I was wondering if you could tell us if you think that the skills you apply to transferring clinical skills and knowledge to a health professional can be applied to transferring those same skills and knowledge to a person with diabetes then? Thanks, Jan. Look, I'll answer this with an example, so bear with me. Um, there's an old saying, uh, which you've probably heard, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a, man a fish, uh, teach a man how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime, which reminds us how valuable it is to teach somebody to do something for themselves rather than to do it for them on an ongoing basis. Now, we've all seen practitioners um, fall into the trap of providing information, making ongoing changes to someone's diabetes care regimen during exchanges with that patient without engaging 
and in teaching the patient the very skills needed to manage a condition like type 1 diabetes. Um, in the setting that I work, um, we, we aim to provide an integrated behavioural health care service within the uh, diabetes multidisciplinary team. So the shared goal of work for all of us is to improve the patient's health behaviour. So these are diabetes self-care activities with the ultimate aim of improving glycemic control health outcomes. So the supervision I provide to students and health professionals from different training backgrounds is to implement a behavioural approach to their education uh, or instruction with the patient with a focus on teaching self-management skills in a diabetes management context. So the model, which uh, is a behavioural consultation model from which I practice and use in clinical supervision as well, is based on a well-established scientifically derived um, principles of behaviour from the field of applied behaviour analysis. Um, and it's been utilised across many settings, including managed care, teacher and parent training, uh, as well as professional coaching and leadership development. So the role of of the behavioural consultant in this model is to provide a positive and supportive experiential learning environment um, for the individual to develop four self-management skills. First is problem definition, so being able to define problems, then you know um, identifying strategies um, that basically tell us what conditions are influencing the behaviours of interest, being able to solve those problems in context, and lastly, using some techniques to evaluate whether their problem solutions have been attained. So it's an iterative process, and the individual applies those strategies with integrity, eventually with the aim of becoming an effective self-manager. And I think it goes both ways. Whether we're talking about changing health behaviour or diabetes self-care of the patient or the clinical and professional behaviour of the supervisee, the very same model and approach to intervention or clinical supervision is going to provide a conceptually sensible and coherent framework for learning these skills. So the supervisee learns to implement the intervention and manage their clinical behaviour and in turn they set up the same conditions for the patient who also develops these core behavioural self-management skills. So I guess in summary, there's many counselling and learning models that um, we can use in clinical supervision, and I think they can be translated in similar ways. Thanks, Mel. We've obviously covered a, an awful lot of information today, and I wonder if you could tell us what your three take-home messages are for our members. So I think point number one is that clinical supervision is not just for students or novice health practitioners but really should be viewed as a valuable process for professional education, recognition and support throughout one's career in health. I think the second message is that supervision discussions should really be focused on a shared goal of optimising care for one's current caseload of patients because skill development happens alongside in the context of clinical practice. Um, and lastly, um, methods used to develop one's own professional behaviour and practice, including reflection, problem solving and evaluation skills, they can be taught to individuals living with diabetes with the aim of improving their diabetes self-management skills. Thanks Melanie so much for your time today. It really has been great hearing about your experience with clinical supervision. I'm sure that our men members have benefited from your experience and expertise in the area, so thank you very much. 
And thank you all for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We look forward to you joining us again next fortnight when we'll commence a series of podcasts on leadership and the development of leadership skills. Remember, if you want to claim CPD points for listening to this series of podcasts, you must complete the evaluation component on ADEA's learning management system. So see you for the next podcast, same time, same channel, and goodbye.